it rained out on the pumpkin patch this week. We're going to have it next week. But since it rained out, you know where I was? Yesterday, I was here. McKinley's got a picture for you again. This is where I was yesterday. I told you, we love this place. We absolutely love it. This is Sugar Creek, which runs right in front of my in-law's cabin. That's Sugar Creek. Now, Sugar Creek is a spring-fed little river that flows into the Little Missouri River. Here's a picture of the Little Missouri River. That's part of it. That's actually uh, the Little Missouri Falls there. Um, it's so beautiful. Now, the Little Missouri River, uh, a little further down, flows into a place called Camp Albert Pike. Now, this was a place that I grew up going when I was a kid. Uh, played in that river and just loved it. We camped there uh, every summer we were there. Love that place. And now, I, you know, we get to see it all the time. But here's the thing about that. When that river is inside of its banks, there's another view of it. When it's inside of its banks, it is among the prettiest places, I think, at least among the prettiest places in the state of Arkansas. But not on this one particular night. This one particular night, I told you about last week, on the early morning of June 11th on 2010, a quick and heavy rainfall of about six to eight inches flooded the Little Missouri River, sweeping through the campsites in the Washita National Forest. The river left its banks, rising from three feet to over 23 feet in just a few hours, and it happened while all the campers were asleep. And it pounded its way through, damaging, destroying, and killing. About 20 people lost their lives, including six children that night, or that early morning. And what was beautiful and amazing inside of those riverbanks became a devastating, destroying flood as it left the riverbanks. And that's where we get the name for this title, because that is the same with us as well in our lives. Because when our lives are within the safety of God's uh, kind of riverbanks, his boundaries that he has created for us, then we experience and they pass over those, our lives leave those riverbanks and they pass over those boundaries, our lives flood, and we become a destructive force, not only to ourselves, but also to others, and it includes the people that we love. So, in the case of all things sexual, God has created and designed sexual things to be only experienced within the safety of a God-designed marriage. Now, last week we got our start by talking about how does God define this thing we called marriage. We talked about that last week. I would encourage you to go back and pick that up. This series builds upon itself. Now, while not all people are called by God or part of his plan for their lives, for not all people are called to be married, we understand that. It is, however, God's plan that everyone maintain sexual integrity, or we could say sexual purity. So if you are married, then sexual integrity is God's design for you. If you are single... Sexual integrity is God's design for you too. So let's define sexual integrity. Here's the definition. 
We can say this, I am sexually pure when I am getting no sexual gratification from anyone or anything but my spouse. So if you're married, that applies to you. If you're single, that applies to you. How do I know when I have crossed the line then, when I am beginning to leave that boundary that God has in place, that riverbank? That God has. So he helps us out here. Here's a verse. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. It says, But among you, now he's speaking to believers here, but among you, you believers, he's saying, you followers of Jesus, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. So how much is too much? And God answers, Not even a hint. Now, we said last week, we cannot go back and change our past. Because I would imagine, if you happen to be alive this morning, that we have some hints of sexual immorality in our lives. And we have in our past. And we cannot go back there and change that. What is done is done. My past I can't go back and change it. Your past, you can't go back and change it. So we said last week, and we maintain this week, that we must start this journey of what we will call maybe reclaimed sexual integrity. We have to start from right where we are in our lives right now. Here's another question for us. What actually got us out of those safety river banks, those boundaries? What got us over those boundaries? When did we cross them? When did we come out of the banks? I think for most of us, we could say it kind of happens when we have chosen to mix God's standards and we mix them with our own ideas. Maybe we felt that God's standards were just too difficult for us. Or maybe we just thought they were just too old-fashioned and they didn't apply today. After all, you know, it's 2020. So we created a mixture. A mixture of some of God's boundaries with our own ideas and we combined them and created something new. But the truth is, this something new it is not God's standard. It just happens to be one we think we can live with. So when we leave the riverbanks of living, living this sexual integrity that we've been called to live, instead, when we leave those banks, we begin to live a life that is a flood. And we pay the price of those choices with our relationships. We pay the price with our relationship with God. We pay the price with our relationship with our spouse or if we're single and we are single and we hope to be married with our future spouse. We pay the price with our children. We also, this is strange, I know, but it's true. If we choose to flood in our lives, outside of the riverbanks with sexual integrity, if that's our choice, we also pay the price in the relationships inside the church. Now, some of the sin that we commit 
we commit because of immaturity. It's true for all of us. At times, the sins that we commit, it's because we're just immature. Perhaps we've just kind of started following Jesus and we're new to really following him. And maybe we've never searched out his design and his plan and his ways. And maybe they're all new to us. And so we're just learning. Sometimes it's just immaturity. But for many of us, especially in America, especially in the South, we've been exposed to his plan, many of us. And for many of us, when we choose to sin, we're doing it out of really just pure open rebellion. And we're telling God this. We're saying, God, okay, listen, listen, God, you can have a Sunday morning or two out of my life. I will give that to you. But my life, my body, my heart, those belong to me. They're mine. Now, when we say that to God, that is so dangerous. When we tell God to leave us alone and let us live the way that we want to live and do what we want with our bodies and do what we want with our hearts, that is dangerous. Let me tell you why. Just a couple verses later from what we just read, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5. Paul says, for know and recognize this. In other words, he's saying, stop what you're doing. And if you miss anything, Paul is saying, listen to this. Every, and I just kind of have to underline that word every. Oh my goodness, this, this to me is startling. Every sexually immoral or impure or, listen to how this list grows, or greedy person who is an idolater. In other words, all of these people that Paul has just mentioned, he says, are idolaters. He says, does not, you could underline that, this is scary, have an inheritance in the kingdom of the Messiah and of God. Whoa. That should make us sit back in our seats just a little bit. That is powerful. Paul is saying, when our lives are defined by us saying to God, God, I will only follow you on my terms. My terms, God. I really, I'm really rejecting your way and I'm offering you a new term. And here's what it is. I would like the reward of being included in your kingdom of heaven. So let's make a deal, God. Let's make a trade. Let's see. I'll say some good things about you on Facebook I'll make some posts about you. I'll share some posts that other people have written that say good things about you too. Sometimes, God, when I don't have something else to do, I'll actually go to church too. This is my agreement. This is my bargain. This is what I'm offering you. Sometimes I'll go. If I don't have something else other to do, I'll do that. And this is what you can do for me, God. You then, in turn... For me saying good things about you, for me believing that you really are God, all this, all that, 
Here's what you can do for me. You can let me into your kingdom. What a bargain, right? But, God, don't, don't ask me to stop living the way I'm living. Don't ask me that. This is not part of the deal. Surely, God, it will be enough for me to say some good things about you to other people and on Facebook to the entire world, in fact. Surely, God, surely, you don't really expect me to follow your way. Oh, by the way, God, I also expect this too. When I get sick, or if I get into some kind of trouble, I want you to take care of that too. But, you know, let me up the thing a little bit. I don't just expect it. If I get into trouble, I'll go to church some more. A couple times. I'll, I will increase. And if I'm really in trouble, God, I'll actually read some of your scripture. And I'll learn how to pray. These are the terms. And this is what I offer you, God. And here's the problem with that. You know the problem. God doesn't negotiate when it comes to following him. We either follow him or we follow something else that our heart loves more than we love God. That's why Paul called it idolatry. And that's why Paul said, if we are loving and pursuing and following anything other than Jesus, we're not going to be in his kingdom. God does not negotiate. Whew. I feel like I need to catch my breath. It may just be because I'm fat. I don't know. What is it that has such a hold on our lives and control over us when it comes to sexual things. You see, it's much more than just this feeling that we have. Science has actually proven that things related to sex, just sexual things, give us a chemical high. So how does that start? I believe it starts with our eyes, visually. Now, certainly, this is most men. I'm not a lady, so I can't speak for you. I don't know if this is visually. We see, no, this applies to most men, visually. We see something. TV commercial, a movie, a billboard as you're driving to work. We see uh, 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 an ad on the internet, something on Facebook, something on Instagram, something on Snapchat. We see something with our eyes that, that begins to stir these sexual things. We see something and a powerful feel-good chemical created by God is released in our brain. And we get a momentary chemical high, a momentary sense of gratification. 
in that moment. Men, it goes from our eyes into our minds, and we think about it. Now, I'm told from what I study that for many women, that's where it begins for women. For men, it begins in our eyes. For many women, it begins in their thoughts. But regardless, once it gets into our thoughts and we begin to think about it, we get another hit of that chemical and another sense of gratification in our brain, another momentary chemical high. This becomes addictive with our eyes, addictive. Our brains begin to tell us that next picture will be the one. That next picture, no, that next one will be the then the next will be the one. That next video will be the one. The next one will be the one. And in our minds, we say, well, but it's only a fantasy. I'm not acting out on it. It's just right here in my thoughts. But men, once it goes through your eyes into your mind, your brain tells you you must increase the volume more and more and more through your eyes into your mind. And possibly, ladies, once that thought gets into the mind, then we begin to linger there. And we begin to create an entire scenario, maybe that perfect interaction, maybe that perfect man. With every image, every thought, another shot of that feel-good chemical in our brain and a little more sense of gratification. You see, God gave us these two gifts. The gift of what we see with our eyes. And I'm talking on the sexual plane. The gift, it's uh, with our eyes, it's all part of God's design for sexual intimacy. He gives us the gift of our mind and what we think about it and our thoughts, all part of God's great design for sexual intimacy. It's all part of the process. Part of the design, part of his plan. If it is inside the safety, the boundaries, the riverbanks of marriage and related only to your spouse. But when our eyes leave those riverbanks, these very gifts that God gave us then begin to flood and they begin to damage and they begin to destroy. You know, we can sin sexually with our eyes and our minds broadly and at will. We don't even need that person's permission. We don't even need them to actually be physically present in our life. We don't need their participation. It all happens here. Some years ago, I sat across from and he told me to meet with me. I sat down with him at a Starbucks, 
and he told me that he was a former cocaine addict and he had you know defeated that addiction but now he was struggling with a different addiction which is why he asked to meet now he had developed an addiction to internet pornography and here's what he told me some years ago he said the very same high chemical brain high that he got from cocaine is the very same feeling that he now gets from pornography. That was years ago. Now, years later, science confirms what he told me he experienced. The brain chemical high for pornography addiction is the same as the chemical levels that you get in your brain related to taking heroin or using cocaine. God knows this. And this is why he commands us through Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. He says, run from sexual sin. He says, no other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality, he says, is a sin against your own body. He goes on in verse 19, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? Again, speaking to believers. He says, you don't belong to yourself. Not anymore. For God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body, Paul says. He's saying sexual sin is no small thing that is just revolving around our eyes and our mind. No little thing. He says, no, no, no. It is actually a sin against yourself. Now that means all kinds of things. I don't have time to break that down, but I'm going to give you one thing. It's a sin against ourself in this way, in many more ways, but in this way, it actually warps and rewires the pathways to our brain pleasure centers. It's a fact. It changes our sexual taste. It enslaves us spiritually. And it all starts with our eyes and our minds. Perhaps that's why Job and the Old Covenant he started his sexual integrity defense right here with his eyes. And here's what he said in Job 31 verse 1. He said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. Sex and all things sexual were created by God. Not just to have babies with the opposite sex. That's part of it. But it was created to give your life to the opposite sex. Your entire self to another person saying, I belong completely and permanently and exclusively to you. Those two with opposite and necessary parts for reproduction, they actually come together and they become, as the Bible says, 
one flesh, the ultimate union, and this has been designed by God. So if we could narrow it down to a simple understanding, what is his standard? What is that riverbank? What is his standard that we can easily understand? Let's just jump back to Ephesians 5.3. But among you, there must not be even a hint if we could summarize for us as a follower of Jesus, what is his standard when it comes to sexual immorality? He says, not even a hint. The safety of God's plan. Riverbank number one. Here's a, here's a picture. So there's riverbank number one. It is dealing with our eyes and our mind. If we want to be in on God's plan and in safely inside of the riverbanks, the first riverbank we want to talk about is today, our eyes and our mind. And God says not even a hint of sexual gratification apart from our spouse in marriage. Not even a hint. And we say, but God, I'm just looking. Okay, question. Is it leading to some kind of sexual gratification apart from your spouse? We say, but, but, but it's all in my mind. I haven't actually even done anything or said anything. Okay, is it leading to some kind of sexual gratification apart from your spouse? And if the answer is yes to either of those two questions, God's response is not even a hint. Because God knows this is where we will flood first. Out of the banks from here. And it's going to flood. And it, yes, even just with the eyes and the mind, it will be devastating. It will be damaging. That will always be the result, if not now, soon. You see, impurity, it's a habit. And that habit starts with our eyes and our mind. A habit. It's a pretend lover with a permanent smile. A habit. Someone who never says no to us. Someone who never rejects us. Someone who never abandons us. Someone who is always discreet. They support our ego in the midst of our self-doubt. And forever they say to us, everything will be okay. So how much of that, from God's perspective, is okay? And God says, not even a hint... Because impurity is a habit, and it lives like a habit, it will die like a habit. That means we must starve the bad habit and feed the new habit. Men, our minds need and require images for lust. 
So if we are feeding our eyes with the Victoria's Secret catalog that comes in the mail, with the images that we see on TV or in the movies or on the billboard or in the magazine or on Facebook or on Instagram or on Snap. If we are feeding our eyes, the battle starts. Let me add to this. If we are feeding our eyes with a real person even, that person who's walking towards you and you watch them all the way, that person who's walking away from you and you watch them all the way, if we are feeding our eyes and our minds, that's where the battle begins for us. We must starve our eyes, which in turn will begin to starve our mind. Now ladies, if for you it is in your thoughts, then those lingering thoughts and those fantasies if we continue to feed them and hang out with them and linger there, maybe it's something we've seen in a movie. Maybe it's something we've read. Maybe it's just something that is there. But if we feed that, it strengthens it and it grows. So we have to starve the mind. Everything we've said today comes down to this. We're going to be very, very practical as we end this morning. Very, very practical. This week is very important because this is where the battle begins. If we're going to get back into the riverbanks, bank number one, it is our eyes and our minds. So here's the battle plan. We have to start right where we are. Right where we are. Admitting to ourselves how we have been feeding either our eyes or our mind. And how this grows. So when it comes to sexual images and thoughts that are not solely our spouse, we have to say, don't feed my eyes don't feed my mind. I must starve them. So here's a plan. Don't feed your eyes. Don't feed your mind with thoughts. We're going to starve them. And here's why. Because what we feed will grow. Either sexual immorality or sexual integrity. So if that's the battle plan to starve our eyes, to starve our mind of the images and the thoughts then what is our response? How are we going to actually do that? So here's the battle response. It is going to be to bounce, to strike, to capture, to shield. Let me explain what those four words mean. To bounce. We're going to bounce, learn how to bounce our eyes. As Job said, he said, I made a covenant with my eyes. Maybe that's what we need to do. We need to develop bouncing eyes, not eyes that linger. We cannot keep an image from coming in unless we're in a place we shouldn't be. If we're just walking through life and something comes into our eyes, we have to learn to bounce our eyes. Immediate response. Don't linger and don't then look again. Lingering with our eyes is a habit. Bouncing our eyes 
Man, when I say bounce, I mean you just bounce them off that to something else. Look at a tree. <laughs> look at your pen and paper, your computer desk. Look, look at the floor. Look at your shoe. Look anywhere else. We learn to bounce our eyes. And that will become a habit too as we focus. Our first response is to bounce our eyes, not linger. So what does strike mean? Second word. We're going to strike with the sword of God. And what is the sword of God? It's going to be something out of his word. And, I, and, and, and if you're anything like me, it's going to have to be quick. You're going to have to grab it really fast and strike with it. If you're having a problem with your eyes, you bounce your eyes, then you strike. Here's the verse. If you don't have one, let me just suggest this. Ephesians 5.3, and summarize it to these five or six words. Not even a hint not even a hint. Just summarize it. You know that is straight out of God's Word. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. Not even a hint. Strike it. And here's the third word. Capture. We've got to capture the thought. If it does sneak through our eyes, into our minds, even at a glance when we bounce, we've got to capture the thought. And we have to make that thought obedient to following Jesus. Now I'm going to give you a verse. We're going to take it out of context. I'm going to tell you that in advance. Here's the verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Paul is speaking to the Corinthians. He says, and we take every thought captive, every thought to make it captive, to make it obedient to Christ. Now Paul is speaking about thoughts and arguments that are against the gospel. But his battle response for that works for this too. Because our thoughts that are attacking our sexual integrity must be captured and we must force them to become obedient to Christ. Your thoughts don't control you. Maybe they have. My thoughts at times in my life have controlled me, but only because I allowed it. We, I must, and you must, we must take the thoughts captive. Whatever lands in our mind, again, we don't linger on that. We don't dwell on that. We take it captive, make it obedient to following Christ. Don't, don't dwell on that thought. And here's the last thing. The shield. We're going to raise our shields. And my advice to you. Raise your shield. While you're running. <laughs> First Corinthians 6.18. Paul says run from sexual sin. That is your shield. The fact that you can now. Run from that. Run from what is trying to come into your eyes. Run from what is trying to land in your mind. And that's our plan. And I am just begging you, will you listen to this again this week? And will you ask God, God, will you help me begin this process of starving my eyes and mind? Will you, will you help me? 
By bouncing my eyes and not lingering. By striking, as I say, not even a hint, not even a hint. And then as we capture that thought and we make it obedient to Jesus and we raise our shields and run, I hope you will join me. Because if we miss this first bank, nothing else we say in the rest of this series will keep our lives from flooding. Will you join me? And I'm getting ready to pray. And the prayer is simply, I have paraphrased parts of Ephesians chapter 5, and I've turned them into a prayer. Will you join me as we pray this morning? Father, sexual impurity does not just go away. It does not just clear up with age. We need your help to get our lives back in the bank, inside that first bank, God. Our eyes, our minds need to be safely in that river bank. It's so that we can live a life filled with love, following your example, Jesus. You loved us and you offered yourself as a sacrifice for us. And now, may we not participate in the things that other people do. May it be said of us that, yes, once we were full of darkness, but now we have the light from you, Jesus. So may we live as people of the light. Your light, Jesus, produces in us only what is good and what is right and what is true. And may we, may we carefully determine what pleases you, Jesus, and may we chase after you. And it is in your name, Jesus, that we pray these things. Amen.